so, so, so good to be here together. So, so good to see you. I love you so much, and I love our church so much, and I love the growth we've been seeing and are growing. Uh, today, we are picking up in James chapter 2, towards the second half. Last week, we talked about favoritism and prejudice. Today, we're talking about what I think one of the most important subjects for a Christian to consider and think through. Chapter 2 um, Verses 14 through 26. I'm going to read this over you, and then we'll pray, and then we're going to dig in, and I'm so thrilled. What good is it, my brothers, it could also be my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was acted along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. What a joy and privilege. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God, this very moment, this sacred 30, 40 minutes, I pray that you would renew our minds. We do not want to be conformed to this world, to its thinking, but we want to be transformed to think your thoughts, think through hard subjects your way, that we would understand, stand under your word as it illumines and explains and helps us wrestle through these matters. Lord, bless us and help us for your name's sake, for your people's sake. Amen. Two realities in the Bible. If you are reading the Bible, you're going to come across these Two realities, more, but these two that I want to bring out today. Reality number one is this. You ready? We are saved by faith alone. You got to know this. We are saved by faith alone. Christianity is a unique belief system because it teaches us that, look, We are sinful in our nature. We rebel against God. God created this perfect, perfect creation, called it very good. 
We are to trust God, we are to follow God, worship God, but we instead changed all of that, trusted something else, worshiped something else, followed our own way, made ourselves rulers of our kings. We sinned and fell short. I'm speaking of humanity as a whole. One of the reasons I believe Christianity is true is that it helps us diagnose what's wrong with us. It's called sin. And you know what happens? God does not leave us there. He demanded righteousness we couldn't provide. He calls us to holiness we couldn't live out. So what does God do? You see, some people say that all religions lead to the top of the mountain. But Christianity is unique and it says that God came down the mountain in the person of Christ. And Jesus comes and lives the life of obedience that you and I couldn't but should have. And he dies the death we should have that we couldn't. And he becomes at once, you ready? Our forgiveness and our righteousness. He is our right. Christ in himself is your forgiveness. Christ in, yourself, in himself is your righteousness. And here's what you do. Receive with faith. That's it. You trust him. You put your weight on him. And faith is like trust. And it just doesn't mean intellect, but it means to trust him. And you trust him and you receive this person, this being Jesus. And you're forgiven and you're clothed in righteousness. And you're an enemy that has become family. And you're adopted into the family. And you have God as your friend. And Mercy Church, there could be no other way but through faith. Well, through Christ, but by our faith. The offer that God has for us is so wild, so grand, so majestic. He has, he's given us his kingdom. He's given us everything that the only thing you and I could do honestly is to receive it. <laughs> what, what are you gonna do, pay for it? <laughs> You're gonna somehow earn it? No, 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 faith, it had to be faith. Trust and faith. We are saved by faith alone. We got that mercy? Now, here's a reality number two you're gonna come across. Obedience is crucial. Obedience is crucial. Works, that's what James calls it. Works is essential. Now you might say, James, but that's like the Old Testament thing, right? Commandments of God. Now if you read your Bible carefully and you get to the NT, go from the OT to the NT, and you come to the New Testament, you will find out that the commandments of God have actually been ratcheted up. It's as if Old Testament was easier. In the New Testament, Jesus says that, you know, you have heard it says, do not commit adultery. It's a physical act, but he says, but if you look with lust, you have committed adultery. He says, you do not commit murder, but he says, if you hate, you've committed murder. You know the Sermon on the Mount? does not outline our duty. It outlines what is not our duty. It tells us that we are to do not just our duty, but what is not our duty. It is not our duty to walk the second mile, commanded. It is not our duty to turn the other cheek, commanded. It is not our duty if somebody asks me for a shirt to give him a coat, commanded. Sermon, you see all throughout New Testament that God is calling us to even a greater level of obedience. Heart matters. You think just giving is important? Bible commands giving generously and cheerfully.
You think serving is important? New Testament commands us that we serve without grumbling. Now you might say, Eugene, okay, okay. New Testament cares about obedience, our obedience. But maybe, just maybe, it doesn't matter that much. Like it doesn't uh, have any significance on our eternity. Maybe obedience isn't that important. To which I get very, very anxious when someone talks about that. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends his amazing sermon in Matthew 7 and says these words. If anyone hears these words and does them, it's like a man who built his house on the rock and the wave came and the wind blew and his house stood. But if anyone hears these words and does not do them, he is like a man who built his house on sand and the wave came and the wind blew and his house was swept away. And you know what Jesus is talking about there? The wind and the wave is the judgment of God. And so what we have left is obedience is crucial. And here is the question I want us to wrestle with today. How do we put this together? How we put this together? How do we put this, reconcile this truth that we're saved by faith? Just nothing else. And obedience matters. And I want to let you know something, Mercy. How you put these two things together has everything to do with how you live your life. How you put these things together may mean that you have landmines all over. And let me give you an example or two. Is the relationship between our obedience and our faith a one of plus? Is that what we're called to do? Believe in God and obey, and then we will be approved with God, then we will be saved. Is that the relationship between works and faith? Oh, let me give you some warning. You do this, and you've jeopardized the gospel. You do this, and you've destroyed Christian message. Because Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, done. My forgiveness, done. My righteousness for you, done. You adopted into the family, done. It is finished. But this says, when Jesus says it is finished, he should have said, it is almost finished. And I have to supplement his work with my work. You see, self-righteousness, oh, you gotta be careful. Self-righteousness does not say, Jesus didn't die for my sins and he doesn't matter. Self-righteousness says Jesus died for my sins, but his work needs to be supplemented with my work. And only then does God accept me. Some of us are condemned today and sit here guilty. And we feel like I am not accepted in the sight of God. And I cannot be accepted in the sight of God because of my works. And you have no reference to Christ. This. The relationship, is that a plus sign? Let me give you another example. It is also not a schism. Ever do this? There's faith and then there's obedience and they're two wildly different things. You believe in Christ and then you obey Christ. And they're kind of different and usually in practice it looks like this. You believe in Christ and then obedience is optional. Let me give you an example of this. I like to put it in simple terms. But in Christianity, sometimes we believe there are two teams. There's a team Savior, <laughs> and there's a team Lord. 
Team Savior is you trust him, you believe in him. It's about what he's done for you. No works, no obedience. This is just resting in everything he's done. Team Lord, (laughs) this is where he becomes in charge. This is high commitment, high devotion, denial. And sometimes we treat Christianity like it has two teams. You get to be on one or the other. Team Savior, you're like, man, I love being Christ. I love the security. I love what he's done for me. But then your heart is stirred up in you to obey him more, walk deeper. You start sensing, the Holy Spirit starts putting on your heart that the way you talk to your wife isn't right. The way you spend money isn't right. The way you lust isn't right. And you're like, you know what? Hopping on to Team Lord, especially at New Year's, right? New Year's resolutions. I'm going to obey my Christ. And then things get tough here. You you gotta be committed. You gotta obey Christ. You know what I realized? Denial can be hard. You know that the price of following Jesus is denial? It will never be anything else. Sometimes we think that if I can abide in Christ and I can be filled with the Spirit, denial will be obsolete because I will be so willing that there will be no such thing as a denial. Jesus was perfectly filled with the Spirit. Jesus was in perfect communion with the Father. And he prayed, not my way be done, but yours. Sometimes we think that denial can be obsolete if we can just abide, but I wanna tell you something, that's not biblical. Abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit does not make denial obsolete. It merely turns us into joyful, willful deniers. And you're up here denying, and things get tough, so you move to maybe Team Savior. The tragedy is not that a Christian struggles between these two poles of greater devotion and lesser devotion. The tragedy is these two options have been made to be two legitimate ways of being a Christian. You can claim him to be savior or you can claim him to be Lord. It's in churches all across America You can have him savior or Lord. As if tough, you can just kind of be just saved. Mercy Church, oh, this is so important. Jesus has one team, and that one team professes him to be savior and Lord. We don't make this distinction between faith or separate these two things and obedience. It's both. Jesus has one team. So let's go back to this question. How do we put together being saved by faith and our obedience together? How do we make sense of this? Well, James is going to help us think. You know, my burden for this sermon, because I always pray for a burden. I love preachers when they have a burden. Like, what's your agenda, preacher? Tell me what you want. Why should we listen to you? Here's my burden that we would seriously renew our minds under the explanation James gives, the truth that James gives. Because there's so much deception, there's so many landmines around this subject, and what we today need to do is to understand the Bible, which means to stand under, come under. And James is gonna give us three things, so we're gonna think about, how do we think about this soberly, right? James is gonna give us three things. Three things about faith 
that clarifies the nature of faith. The first, James tells us that this thing called faith, this belief, can be, three words, useless. No good. Dead. Verses 14 through 20 minus 18, watch these words. What good is it? My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Then he goes on, talks again about in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then he gives us an example of demons. And demons have perfect theology. They have perfect intellect. They know everything. They know the Bible better than you. They believe here that God is one. And James goes on to tell us in verse 20, it is useless. Typically, when we think of faith, we think it comes in one flavor, black and white, on and off. James wants us to look at faith in color. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That faith can be a type of faith that's useless. <laughs> like He's inviting the hearer to have a category in their thinking that faith can be useless. It's not no faith. Because it is a conviction of sorts. It is an intellectual assent of sorts. It is saying things of sorts. But it is useless. It is no good. It is dead. And James knows something about us. He knows that we are a people who are very, very satisfied with what we know. We're very, very, very uh, satisfied. We believe it's good enough to just know the right things and to believe the right things. We give awards to children who memorize scripture. I've never seen an award for obedience to parents. We have discipleship groups that are built around learning. I want to do one day in a discipleship group. Now, I know you won't join me. But a discipleship group where, where we just start off and we just say, guys, welcome to the first day of discipleship group. We know everything. We're just going to focus on applying all of this. Now, of course, I'm not trying to sound arrogant. But we are the kind of people who believe that the threshold is met if I can say and believe the right things. And James shocks us. Those are shocking words. He, dead faith, do you know what dead faith is? No better than unbelief. He is inviting the Christian to basically say the unthinkable. Would you ever as a Christian say, I don't believe in heaven? Would you ever as a Christian say, I don't believe in a goodness of God? Would you ever as a Christian say, Jesus is not joy, has no joy for me. Jesus is not worth it. But if our faith is dead, we in effect are saying those things. If our faith has no works, has no hunger for the righteousness of God, if our faith has no battling sin, if our faith has no repentance, if our faith has no growing in Christ, our faith is dead, no better than unbelief. Scary. Scary things that James is letting us know. 
you believe in heaven? Do you make decisions in light of heaven? If you believe in heaven, do you take comfort knowing you'll go there and you can give up sacrifice, sacrifice today? If you believe in heaven, do you store your rewards there? If there are no works, your faith is dead. Oh, this is amazing, right? So I was, real quick, side note, I was reading commentaries on James and one commentator said, hey, if you as a preacher don't like share the firmness of James' tone, you failed. He wants to jolt us out of our numbness. We can deny him with our action. But James goes on and says, look, it's useless and no good. It's useless and no good. How painful. Listen, it can be useless in terms of not doing anything for us. The most important things in life is salvation, forgiveness, God. And he's saying faith does you no good if it has no works. Think about all the blessings of faith. Joy, peace, comfort, closeness with God. Where does that come from? From the usefulness of faith. How do you get the comfort of God? Through faith. How do you get the joy of God? Through faith. How do you get the blessings of God? Through believing. And James saying, it's not gonna help to help you. It's not gonna be useful for you. I was thinking about how we often say this. Have you ever, you know, I've said this. When a preacher preaches and says, listen, do not worry, God is in control. And I'll say something like, really? I know God is in control. It's not helping me. <laughs> Ever happened? Or I know God is a great treasure. I'm still unsatisfied. It's useless believing God is peace. My heart is in turmoil. Eugene, I know God is peace, but my heart is in turmoil. It's useless believing that God is near. I still feel very distant from him. And we say these words, it's useless. James wants us to let us know, it's not useless to believe. It's useless believing, that's the problem. It is not useless to believe God is comfort and God is joy and God is hope. It is useless believing, believing that's dead, believing that's no good, believing that has no works. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you expect, accept things that are not in control? Do you believe that God is joy? How can we consume so much junk around him and give him the spare crumbs of our focus and our attention? God will never be the treasure that he is in our lives if we give him spare, spare, uh, spare moments. You believe God is near you. Where's the action? James let us know that our faith can be useless. It does nothing for us. You see, Christianity is the kind of faith that always produces action. I used to have a book. It was a big, fat book. We used to leave it in the bathrooms. And it's, it was the book of useless information. Ever have a book like that? I learned so many cool facts. I learned that the speed of the light from the sun to the earth is eight minutes. So if the sun goes out, we still have eight more minutes to say goodbye to each other. I learned so many cool facts. And here's the thing. It changed nothing in my life. And indeed, it could, couldn't change anything. Christianity is a different kind of belief. It means things. It means things. Ever hear somebody say something like, if I wasn't a Christian, 
I would have, I would do that, and it's usually something bad. If I wasn't a Christian, I would have. And at first glance, it's like, I don't know if that's a good thing to say. But on the other hand, I think that's a glorious thing to say. Jesus is so important in this person, has such a hold on this person that he guides his life. If I didn't love Jesus, I wouldn't love my wife this much. I wouldn't serve her this much. I wouldn't be sacrificial this much. Christianity is a faith that produces action. So James wants us to know that just because there is faith being spoken of does not mean it's living faith. Point number two. He wants us to know the role of works in faith. Now go with me to verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James is telling us one thing very, very, very profound. There is no faith. Faith must be made visible by our actions. In fact, that there are two types of faith. There's a tell me faith, and there's a show me faith. There's a faith I get to say, hey, here's what I believe, guys. I believe God exists. I believe God is a triune. I believe God you know, inspired men to write the Bible. I believe all of that. That's tell me faith. James is calling us to have the kind of faith that is shown. Do you have a show me faith? And he gives us two examples, two glorious positive examples of people, one man, one woman, where their faith was made visible by their actions. The first one is Abraham. And look what he says. Abraham, our father, was, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled. That says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Do you remember the story of Abraham? In chapter 15, Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, God makes a promise to Abraham that he will be a father and have an offspring. And he will be a father of many nations, as many as there are stars in the heavens. And there in chapter 15, God says to Abraham, on account of his faith, justified. The word justified means you're made right with me. Abraham, you're made right, declared right, not in the wrong, right, on account of belief. Then in chapter 22, seven chapters later, God tests Abraham. And God commands Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. The similarities between this story and Jesus are just profound. Just like Abraham, just like Isaac, Jesus was the only begotten son. And Isaac puts the uh, the, the, the sticks on his back and carries him to, the, to Mount Moriah just like Jesus carries the wooden cross. And then at the mountain, the altar is made and Isaac asks Abraham, Abraham, where, oh, Father, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham kind of says, you know, provide. But then Isaac gets on the altar submissively. 
See, Isaac could have outrun Abraham at that moment. It's a picture foreshadowing of Christ who submissively and obediently dies for our sins. And when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord stops him. It says, you know, you passed the test, Abraham, and there's a ram and thistles, and, and that's the sacrifice that's used in his stead, in Isaac's stead, and it's a glorious picture of Jesus. But Abraham, through this obedience, shows his faith. Mercy Church, faith is not invisible. Faith is always made visible with actions. Faith is never invisible, not real faith, not biblical faith, not the kind of faith that moves mountains, not the kind of faith that earns our forgiveness. It is always made visible. And James uses this example. And notice how it's in chapter 22. Chapter 15, he's justified. In chapter 22, his faith, his obedience shows that his faith was genuine. And on account of that, Abraham is justified. The second example we have is the example of Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute in Jericho. And she houses two spies when Israel is coming in to take over. And when she, what she does is she switches sides. She believes that Yahweh God indeed has let these people through the Red Sea, has conquered nations, and they will fall because Yahweh is the real true God. And on account of this belief, what does she do? She converts. Again, faith made visible. James is telling us, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. I read that 70 to 80% of Americans believe God exists. That's tell me faith. <laughs> James wants us to show that God exists. How, how would you do that in your life? You know, I think about the most simple truths in Christianity. The most simple truths in Christianity. And I'm going to ask you this question. It's a test for me. It's a test for you. I want to invite you into this little laboratory. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Could I show that I believe that? Because I could tell that I could believe that, but can I show that I believe that? Number one, simple. Can you show with your life that God is? <laughs> that God exists? You ever think about how wild this is? The ma most majestic being on the planet, on the, in the universe, spoke the universe into existence. He exists. And listen, you don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be religious. Let's just think about logically what this would mean for our lives. Let's look at our priorities. Let's look at what our aims in life is. Who's the center of our life? If God exists clearly, and I believe this clearly, he's, listen, our words, they can lie. Our lives will never lie. Our words may or may not deceive, but you know what will never lie? Our hidden lives, our secret lives. We can lie with our words that we believe God exists, but you know what? We'll always tell the truth, our finances. We can say that God exists with our words, but you know what? We'll always, always tell the truth, our home lives. And on the basis of that, can you show that you know, that you believe that God exists? How about the second one? 
God has spoken. God has spoken. The maker of the universe did not sit behind the veil and had us grope around thinking about who he may be. He actually inspired men and women. He inspires the authors of scripture to put together this book and he has spoken. Now, I know there's literally, well, I don't know, but most of you are like Eugene. I believe that. I, I really do. James saying us, no, no, that's telling me faith. Show me you believe this. Show me that you believe that God has spoken. To me, I'm going to stop beating around the bush. Do I treasure the word? Do I memorize the word? Do I long for the word? Is this word of my guide? Come on, discipleship groups, do we read our Bibles? Do we engage with our text? How about this? God answers. Oh, I know we all believe and can say, I believe God answers. But James is not interested in tell me faith. He wants show me faith. He wants us to show that we believe God answers. How little I pray. How little I wrestle in faith asking God for help. Oh, I am so content to rely on my strength, on Google, on my wisdom, on my resource, on my network. I could figure life out. Show How's your prayer life? Do you really believe that God hears? God dwelt among us. You see, science and nature would only lead us to a God who's powerful and majestic. But Christ leads us to a God who is tender, loving Father. And Christ has come to dwell among us. Do you believe that? I mean, think about how wild that is. Sometimes I stand here, I can't believe what I'm saying. God walked this planet, like literally. He made known his Father. And he's become the way and the mirror to his Father. Do you treasure that? Where is Jesus in your life? Is he your joy? Is he your purpose? God forgives. Show me faith. God forgives. Do you know that God forgives? Do you know how I believe? One of the ways I think we can show that we actually believe this is in our willingness to forgive. You want to know? You want to know if you know that you know that God forgives? Do you forgive? I know there could be trauma in your life. I know there can be pain in your life. I know there can be real hurt in your life. The kind of hurt that altered the trajectory of your life. The kind of hurt that has ruined years and years of your life. But do you today forgive? Forgive that person. Forgive that perpetrator. Forgive that abuser. Show me faith. If you believe that God forgives me, will always demonstrate itself in our willingness to forgive others. Or God will judge. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And God is the one we are accountable to. And I could say all I want that I believe this, but if my life isn't uh, lived in a way that's accountable to him, taking stock of my life, taking stock of my finances, my words, what I do with my time, this is just empty, empty, vain faith. Show me faith. James, for the first point, 
or excuse me, the second point, James tells us the faith, Christian faith, must be shown. It cannot be just merely told. And then we come to the third point. And James is going to give us one of the strongest points in this text. And he's going to give us this, that faith and works are distinct. They do different things, but they cannot be separated. Faith is the way I received the gospel, what Jesus has done. Works show that faith. They prove it. So James is going to tell us that these two things, they're separate, but they are, they're distinct, but they cannot be separated. Look how he writes in the last, last verse of this text. Faith, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see that? Let me read that again. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is telling us there's an organic interconnectedness of real faith and obedience. Somebody said it's faith by works. It's works proving and showing our faith. They can never be separated. They cannot be separated the way a body cannot be separated from spirit and body. There is an interconnectedness, organic interconnectedness. When there's faith, there is obedience. When there's faith, there is obedience. We see this in the Bible. I told you about those big transitional passages. I'm going to give you one more thing about how faith and obedience are not related. You ready? It's not this. Faith, but obedience. Ever, <laughs> I said this, you ever catch yourself saying this? Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, but you got to obey God. You ever hear yourself say that? It's not even that. Notice how in the Bible, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, now Romans first 11 chapters, Paul highlights everything we have in God, our righteousness in God, our standing in God, how we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know how chapter 12 begins? It does not begin with but. That would be weird. <laughs> if you're reading like, man, God has done everything, but... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's what that but would mean. Everything Jesus has done is not enough. We've got to supplement it. We've got to adjust our view of what Jesus has done. No, the word is, you ready? Therefore, given everything God has done, and you have believed in this now, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to living, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. First Peter chapter one. Do you know what it tells us? Everything we have in God. The first two verses says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope during the re hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what God has done. He's called us to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then in verse 13, he does not say, but. 
but you got to do this, okay? It's not done, deal. No. Verse 13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be holy as he is holy. James is letting us know there's an interconnectedness, the inseparability of faith and obedience. The way we're going to bring this together, and we're going to end right now, is you see we've said saved by faith, obedience is crucial. The way we're going to bring this in together is to say the following. Mercy, I want you to get this. Is that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Got that? We are saved by faith alone. That's it. But this faith that's real, this faith that is active, this faith that is useful, this faith that is good bringing will always come with obedience. Will always come with obedience. Always come with crucial, a growing obedience. Let me end here. You know, usually, historically, when there was communion, it would be a Sunday, and I think it's a very good practice to examine ourselves. There can be no greater examination of self than to ask yourself, is my life aimed towards God? Do I walk with Him? Is my life, listen, We're not preaching perfection. Never, never, never. We're preaching hunger for righteousness, battling for righteousness, repenting when we fail, or battling for righteousness, and when we are conquerors, repenting for our pride, right? Never ending. Is that in your life? Is that in your life? And here's what James wants us to do, and this is crucial. I want you to examine yourself. Do you have obedience? Is your faith a show-me faith? And if it is not, the solution is not to say, then let me go and obey God so that I could have genuine faith. I want to invite you tenderly as a pastor who loves you so much, knowing that this is the most important thing in the universe, being right with God. Because that is true. I invite you to make a full stop in your life. And the next course of action is not to try to go obey God, but to put your trust in Christ. Because we will never be saved by our works. We will be saved through or by faith. So don't you right now think, oh my goodness, okay, then I'm just going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to try to start coming to church. That's not the answer. The examination is, do I believe in God? Is my faith active, alive, living, good bringing, or is my faith dead, useless? Because if it is useless, I am not forgiven. If it is useless, I do not stand in the righteousness of Christ. If it is useless, I am not in his family. Mercy Church, examine yourself. It's good for you. It's for your own good. (laughs) You are not going to live forever. Tomorrow's not promised. Everyone will die and everyone will stand before God. And the question is, do I trust this God? I have show me faith. And I want to ask you to come to him. 
Trust him. God will not shame you. He's your father. He's calling you to himself. He will forgive you. He will embrace you. He will show his tender mercies to you. And then if you are a believer, isn't it true that we could be strong in some parts of our faith and weak in other parts of our faith? Examine your life. Where, where, where are you dead in your faith? Maybe you don't believe that God is good. Maybe you don't believe that God forgives. Maybe you don't believe that God is worth it. Now remember what we're asking. Do I have show me faith for this? And I don't have show me faith for this. I don't have show me faith, a faith that can be shown to believe that God forgives, that God is worth it all. And I want to let you know something. We are always coming to the throne room of grace. And we're going to pray. We're going to say, God, forgive me. Make my faith alive. And God, help me obey you in where I am led. Increase my faith and increase my obedience. We never, ever go alone. Amen, mercy. He's always helping us. He's always guiding us. He's always providing. His grace does not just forgive. His grace empowers. God, right in this moment, as a family, as your children, we come to you. God, what a shocking, scary passage that's so good for us. We thank you that you've inspired James to write down these words that will echo through millennia, helping us know that we have real faith. God, I pray that for those of us who have backslid, have walked away, have stumbled. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust in you. Make that right next step. Trusting in you and then living a life of obedience. God, you also see all of us with our struggles, our pains, our hurts. You see all of us where we struggle to trust you and believe in you with real faith. I ask that you would forgive us but you would also strengthen us and embolden us. Increase our faith. Lord, we pray what disciples prayed. Increase and help our unbelief and help us obey you in the ways you have called us. Not our will be done, but yours. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done. Amen.